I may finally have found a place where I can be all alone. This is what makes time travel possible. The flux capacitor. What happens to us in the future, Doc? It's your kids, Marty. Something's got to be done about your kids. What do you mean? Your daughter marries a black man. That, that's actually not a big deal for me. Yeah, me neither. What? Really? Yeah, I mean, well, what's what's wrong with that? Nothing, I guess. I think I think it's great. Congratulations. I don't think I'm comfortable around you anymore. Welcome back, everybody, for another edition of Nick's Nonfiction. You're here with your host, Nick Muniz. Halfway through the month of January, we are, and we are breaking the cardinal rule of the show, Nick's Nonfiction. Today is a fiction episode, one of the most amazing premises you will ever hear for a book recommended by Stephen King. Ken Grimwood's book, Replay, talks about reincarnation, cosmic, karmic loops, interdimensional lovers reincarnation wormholes anomalies this is the book that ties together the age-old question if you had the ability to replay a portion of your life would you do it so scroll below whatever platform you are as always we have timestamps in the description go chapter to chapter we just had a review on the jordan b peterson episode someone is reading along 12 rules for life and listening to a chapter of the podcast as they finish reading it's beautiful I love all the interactions. We got a few segments at the front of the show here, so feel free to skip around. Our what used to be called Harry Shit and this past month section is going to be dragged out into we got the hottest memes of the month. We got what's coming up in 2020 in a personal this past month. So skip to the about the author for the legendary fiction writer Ken Grimwood. And for our hardcore listeners, you could feel your seat getting hotter by the section because we're getting political, we're getting hairy, we're getting into the nitty-gritty of Nick's nonfiction. Hairy shit and this past month. On the account, we are up to 12,000 followers. The shadow ban is over. Praise on high. The dark days are over. All of the pictures are getting out to all of the 12,000 followers. Now 12K. The My Stories, which have been reaching over 20,000 people, those go viral like you wouldn't believe. I was offered an OK Boomer hoodie via DM for a shout-out. Kid was like, if you get if you repost me and it gets 300 likes, I'll send you this hoodie. He wasn't going to send me a hoodie. That's why I keep that clout. I earned that clout. Three years into the meme page, it's only getting funnier by the more topical My Photoshop skills are getting saucier. Check out the YouTube page if you're just listening to this show. I will have scrolling my top memes of the month. So you guys heard about all this YouTube stuff going down this previous month. December 10th of last year was when the truth started getting filtered out. And so Harry Shit is a crucial soldier in the Great Meme Wars. We're about to enter World War Three. everybody. This is coming up to be talked about. There is for sure what some would call an info war going on the internet and hairy shit. We're making memes about the military-industrial complex, sex and socialization, untouchable topics in this new decade. We did make it past that YouTube day of reckoning D-Day, December 10th, so the truth lives on for now here on Nick's Nonfiction. And thank you guys again, whoever is cross-following over to add up to that 12K. Original content every single night. Check out Harry's shit. 
2020 coming events. What's going to go down this year? Is this going to be a viable segment every single month? We're going to change it up. A fortnight into 2020, what are my predictions here? This country is having another presidential election. Hmm. <laughs> also, though, for the first time ever, probably the history of, like, warfare or just countries, I'm a military-aged male, and I do not know if there's a commander-in-chief. Do we have a president right now? Guy's been impeached. Apparently, it has to pass in the Senate. You can't start the Third World War if we don't even have a leader. This isn't fair. Nobody's getting to vote on this. The Patriot Act was just re-signed under our nose. Nobody's getting to vote on these things. The Fifth Amendment is just being scribbled out on the Constitution in D.C. as we speak. So this election is freaking huge. Everybody try to get your head out of the sand, out of your assholes, because this is a big one. This is our political safe space to talk about. Skip around. Negative Nancys. Fragile Francines. <laughs> Real stuff going down. So impeachment, I don't even know. We're going to leave that one on the shelf for a couple more months. I think it's a year. These types of things, you saw how long the proceedings taken for the Russia collusion hearings? False. It took over six months for that conspiracy to drag out. To get this guy to court for an impeachment will probably take years in today's bipartisan civil war that we call a political system. So we'll be getting updates on that. Uh, over on the Democratic side, I would love to see Tulsa Gabbard pull something out of her beautiful bosom. Like, even look at SNL is treating her like literal Corella DeVille, the villain. When she is the only, what, veteran on the stage, she was a military doctor. So there we go. 2020 coming events is probably just going to be election coverage. Big thing I think is going to go down in 2020 as well. Virginia is militiaing up. That's a verb, militiaing. The uh, police commissioner was saying, we're not going to go around and take our citizens' guns. We don't believe in that. Big bad federal government is coming through for the battle of the bullets. This could really tumble into something bigger. The Minutemen out in western Massachusetts farms, that could easily come back up 2020. <laughs> I'm writing the history book as it goes. I mentioned the Patriot Act was re-signed. I mean, come on. <laughs> Let's try to pay a little more attention, especially being a presidential election year. And, you know, the military-industrial complex is closer than they've ever been to securing this invasion of Iran. 14,000 troops over in Iraq and Saudi. 14,000. The people that I graduated with, I've talked about being in Air Force ROTC for a couple years in college. I'm still close with a lot of these guys. Their deployments are coming up over this next presidential span four years. So it's pretty scary. Talking about the Battle of the Bullets, feeling like I dodged a bullet. We're going to have our World War Three updates as well because that's moving right on track. Hottest memes of the month. What blew up recently, because what was big in the news, Disney Plus. So, da -da -da, biggest meme that happened to go down, Baby Yoda. You know, I'm always looking for the story under the story. But come on now, there's nothing that comical about a cute figurine. This meme has been done a million times, the crying cat. In like t 2008, when I was looking at Rage Comics on the old internet... The baby pumping his fist. Like, this has been a reoccurring meme. Baby Yoda, it was voted as meme of the decade. You're talking with a meme connoisseur right now. Come on with that propaganda. You can use it as a trending post to get some likes, to get some normies following your page, but you cannot have this be the backbone of the meme society. 
Even remember small, baby so small, S-M-O-L. Same meme. Same fucking thing as the Yoda, man. But those were more creative and funnier. So watch who's posting those memes, too. I mean, you see, like, the fuck Jerry. Uh, Daquan is completely sold out by now. Hooded Clips. All of them are just posting Baby Yoda because they're getting bribed. Like I just said at the top of the show, I got offered a hoodie. Like, I have been offered money, $500 for my page before. I could definitely start making pages and selling them. But what am I doing? Selling my creativity? Mwah! What am I, an artist? No, I'm going to be a mall clown eventually, hopefully. <laughs> So why would you think that these literal accounts, Barstool, who are vocal that they take ad money, why would they not let that influence their posts? They're reaching millions of people. And then you got OK Boomer was big. That kind of bled through Thanksgiving to New Year's. That's another one to sow division. There wasn't anything else that stuck. Everybody was pissed off about that YouTube rewind going down. <laughs> Shows how hard YouTube doesn't care. Remember those like... uh mashup of dance dj earworm videos that they used to pipe it up with i still have some of those songs on my ipod people used to love that stuff it was culture for a while but they just took a fat shit on everybody's internet experience they like killed a generation's childhood i bet with that and then <laughs> big one was the Donald Trump snapping away the impeachment like he was in the Thanos garb. And it was like CNN fading away like the end of the Avengers movie. So CNN spends a week in fake outrage. You could watch the Don Lemon clip where he almost breaks character. He's like, Donald Trump, does he think this is funny? And he's trying not to crack a smile because he has to try to act like he's outraged. It was tremendous. <laughs> the guy, the leader of the free world has been impeached and he's making memes about it. He doesn't care. I want this man to be reelected for the sake of comedy. I am an independent. I don't even think I'm a libertarian anymore. <laughs> this man is the funniest man to have ever lived. I can't say that for sure, but he is for sure the funniest living man on the planet. How could you be impeached and not care? It doesn't, it makes no sense. <laughs> And then we got the memes blowing up on Greta Thunderberg, which is a very touchy topic. She won Person of the Year, so there were a lot of memes about that. But you also know who won Times Person of the Year? In 1938, it was Adolf Hitler. So I don't know if that's the, such high a regard, especially now that a 13-year-old has held that position. That's going to conclude our meme chat. <laughs> As for the personal this past month... Got to go back to Jersey. Always good to go home and recharge the batteries for some Christmas celebration. Big personal news. My lease is going to be up in uh, the end of May. So definitely going to be making some moves. We'll probably have a couple road casts going down because Chaboy's taking it deep in 2020. I got nothing tying me down. And that's the way we like to live. We're making our way to the West Coast. Going to see what cities I like most likely winding up in SoCal. So that'll be a fun era of the show and time to look forward to come end of May. Making my odyssey around this great country in a Prius. And you will all be there along the way. After I went home, also had a buddy come to Denver to celebrate the New Year's good time. Got to see a bunch of breweries. You know, they say... <laughs> They call uh, Denver Menver sometimes because there's so many men. And I've heard from women that every dude's dating profile is craft brewery, craft brewery. My buddy big into craft breweries. I got to go and try some beers. And I understand the trance. The sours. It's kind of like juice, alcoholic juice. We're getting into new territories here compared to 
going home and watching my weathered fatherly ancestors sip burning scotch. We're drinking fruity beers and uh, flirting with bartenders about our beer knowledge. Interesting stuff there. The kid has over like 1,500 beers logged in on one of those apps. So he has a palate for it. Got to go to some of the best. What is it? Black Project here in Denver. Epic Brewing. Great Divide. Check those out if you're local. And it's been fun preparing for this, reading a fiction book, literally my first fiction book since high school or something, or <laughs> a book about uh, cyberbullying in college. But it was fun to get lost in this. We'll definitely do some more fiction books for the premises in our 15th of the month. You know, top of the month. We're always keeping it topical, keeping it non-fiction, something to take home. But we're fooling around a little bit here. We're talked for 20 minutes about memes, baby. And before we get into our author, Ken Grimwood, our previous book, (laughs) we had Jordan B. Peterson's 12 Rules for Life to kick off the New Year's. And I know this guy is knee-deep in shit when it comes to political chaos, man. He's like... Every side hates him. He's not right enough for the right wing. The left wing can't stand with him telling a feminist that they might get drafted for World War III that we're about to start. I think people got a little too lost in that, whereas I was just reading it to extract friggin' cool tales about the Bible and secret myths and motivation, because it's really hard to come by. Especially nowadays, everybody's doing shit for a paycheck. It's really hard to find something genuine. So I think that episode kind of went over people's heads. Not a great start to the new year. I am happy to have been able to share that book because I read it when I was in college. Read it again for the show and I could see how it's a bit tacky. But that dude is a fucking beacon for young men. Try to weigh the good from the bad. He might have pissed off some people on the internet, a place that doesn't exist. But in real life, he's fucking pushing people to try to chase their dreams. And, like, how many people's lives has he saved from suicide attempts? I didn't even include that in the show. It's a little too dark. Way to throw off the chemistry beginning here. (laughs) Fuck you guys for not getting along board. We're going to be doing some more experimental content like that. So buckle down. I'm sure that lobster army will come around. Let's get into some fiction, some fiction recommended by Stevie King himself. We are talking today Ken Grimwood's replay. About the author, Ken Grimwood. Ken has came and gone. He was born in 1944, died in 2003. For our fast-acting arithmeticians, that made him only 59 years old. At the age of his death, definitely a premature passing there. You'll see how that comes in, a very eerie death from a fiction writer. But this book replay is his best-selling Mr. Grimwood's from 1988. Two years after the release of the book, he won a Fantasy Writer of the Year award. Definitely received his recognition for the crazy concept that is this book. And what we don't know is that Ken also wrote under a pseudonym, a pen name, a ghost writer known as Alan Cochran was his J.K. Rowling way to try a different concept out and see, hey, do people really just like my name, or am I actually still putting out good work? Mr. Grimwood kept it real. He would write under different names just to market test the quality of his product. Grimwood is from Alabama, grew up in Pensacola, Florida. 
He was into comic books and radio journalism. Ties into the story as well. He studied psychology at Bard College in New York and then moved over to L.A., was working at a news radio station. He started writing his early novels while he was working at said station. All of his girlfriends said he was free-spirited, loved to live life on the edge, not knowing what he was going to do for the day. One direct quote from a girlfriend he was a loner, almost a recluse. He liked small gatherings of friends. We had many dinner parties with him and some friends, and he would always be the one to keep the evening hilarious. He was a great storyteller. He did not like publicity and was actually quite shy. He was a media junkie. He owned the first Betamax sold. That could either be the maximum beta male or this guy's masturbating to the max. And he had the largest video library I have ever seen, said the girlfriend. One of his favorite things to do was watching old movies, which we did often. So Grimwood's living with these girlfriends, just watching old movies, and he wrote his first breakthrough debut novel in 1976, 12 years before replay. That book was about a girl who gets electrodes like placed all over her brain to make sure the serotonin's flowing nicely. I'm jealous. This was to get her into the groove of the ideal housewife situation. So even the concept of that book, it wasn't just about sci-fi housewife. It was dealing with the issue housewife neurosis. That used to be a thing in the DSM. You could have that diagnosed as a disease. You're so cooped up in the house that you're going fucking crazy. Ken Grimwood put out in a fiction novel... Would it really be better just to take the Xanax all day like the housewives are doing now and washing it down with white wine? Is that actually going to make you happy? So you know these books are layered. It's got a little bit of truth under the veil of the fiction. So I'm sure most of his books are super interesting read as Replay was. And make sure to tune in for March. We are dealing with that issue exactly about the housewife's neurosis. And that's going to be a perfect yin to the yang of what our February episode is. Stay tuned to the end to hear about that. Ken Grimwood's other notable books, 2 Plus 2. It was about two L.A. detectives stringing together. Two haughty detectives, one that's been burnt too many times but earned his way into the precinct. And the other one a real by-the-book rookie. They were stringing together sex party kills in L.A. So Grimwood always putting some sort of a spin on his novels. He's not just doing black noir solve the mystery. He gives you a mysterious idea that you will never be able to get to the bottom of by the time you die. I'm still trying to rationalize the entire concept of replay. And this book has been published in English, French, German, and Chinese. Chinese, you know Grimwood's living well until the end. Big market to be selling your bestseller. There you go. This past month, the NBA players are still sucking off China for their shoe deals. NBA does not care about Americans and free speech. They want to sell their shoes. <laughs> the Chinese kids make the shoes, and then they don't feel guilty about selling it back to the kids. Also this past month, the MLB baseball, those players are allowed to use cannabis now. Was just taken off the bad substance list. There's going to be a lot more missed fly balls in the outfield. Kid, you're up. What's up, coach? You're up. Grimwood knew he was not the best fiction writer, so he came up with these outlandish concepts and gave life to them. And that heart attack that ended Grimwood's life at 59 was over in Santa Barbara. You will see how this early life heart attack plays into the story of replay the concept if you could replay a 25 year portion of your life would you do it if it's from year zero to year 25 probably not 
I'm not going to want to sit through 12 years of public education, awkward boners, and ignorant teachers filling your mind with gobbledygook. What if the replay was from 55 years old to 80 years old? Would you do it then? Reliving your body deteriorating, but maybe you're seeing your last days in a retirement home with the person that you chose to take the journey of life with. Maybe. But what if the scenario, which is the scenario that Kem Grimwood has presented for us, from 18 to 45 years old. You get to 45, you're looking back. They say I've been reading Alan Watts lately, big, uh, like, The Way of Zen. Meditation, he's a fucking guru. One of his big pieces Alan Watts always drops in his lectures is that every person wakes up sometime in their 40s or 50s and goes, wait, this was life? It's been passing me by the whole time? What's going on? No, I want to start over. And so it's, um, I'm sure fucking Ken Grimwood, across this author's life, he has read these philosopher thoughts of a midlife crisis before. And so if you had the chance at 45 years old, if you are not the millionaire, most people would go back to 18 years of age. You just finished school. You got your meaningless piece of paper that says you're allowed to die for your country and it's time to start paying taxes. You're not allowed to drink, though. You're not allowed to rent a car, though. But you have all the way from 18 to 45 to do whatever you want. So would you do it the same? Would you remember how to replicate everything the exact same? Probably not. Would you ditch the first try and just try to become a millionaire? Would you become an investor of some sort? Just go be a world traveler. Try to be an artist. What if it happened again, though? Would you identify with your first life, the original one? Or would you identify with the replay as your true life? And then what if it kept happening again and again and again? Would you try to tell someone probably? Or would that person then try to put you in a mental asylum saying, Oh, I've been here before. I know your future. Everyone from the future has a British accent. What if you're the only one that is stuck in this infinite replay loop? Would you try to die? What if there are others? Would you try to kill each other or would you try to build an empire? How many times would you like to replay if you were in control of it? Or how many times would it take you before you start looking around and try to figure out what is going on? Before you even put pen to paper and think, I'm writing a book. (laughs) These are the types of questions that you need to amass. Philosophical questions. Whether you're going to switch the train's trolley tracks. That needs to be part of the plot of a book. It's not about compelling dialogue. It's about building characters on top of amazing concepts, which Grimwood is good at. And what has made this book a bestseller, it gets championed by Stephen King all the time. The best living fiction writer. Did you anybody see? Here's a little this past month. <laughs> Stephen King's most recent sequel. No, no, no. Not it too. Not the killer clown movie that just demanded a sequel in today's market. Dr. Sleep. The Shining sequel, one of the best horror movies of all time, had a sequel that nobody talked about. There's a couple reasons for it. You'd think more people would be going to see the sequel to one of the bestsellers. Dr. Sleep was about satanic pedophiles and, you know, Jeffrey Epstein is still in the news. So that cannot be the art of the ages. You gotta inflate the numbers of Captain Marvel still. You could see it was a work of Stephen King. It was all about shining the kids with the telekinetic abilities and how they deal with it growing up. And how the (laughs) global elite New World Order championing people who do the black magic were going around the country and, like, sucking out the powers and killing these little kids. Here's a quick stat for you guys. 300,000 children a year go missing in the United States of America. The media does not report on this. Where the fuck are a third of a million of kids going? 
Where's all the milk cartons? I haven't seen a kid's missing face on a milk carton in years. Sketch McGetch. Keep your eyes on your kids. And Stephen King is known for obviously having layered writings, but mimicking what is going on in society in his writings. So remember, Stephen King came out a uh, <laughs> month after a bunch of people were acting like clowns in the middle of the woods. It comes out. Art can imitate life, but not when it exposes the global elite child sex trafficking ring. You see what I'm getting at? This book replay tries to show the underlying flow of time to the masses through film. Hey, first little good conspiracy chat of 2020. It comes into play in the book. In the book, the guy Jeff tries to stop the assassination of JFK. Pertinent. Let's get into this narrative. Replay. Our protagonist, Jeff. Hefe. My name is Jeff. Jeff lives a normal life with his wife, Lauren. She's a bit of a younger girl. He picked her up in their 30s, saw her on the beach, was like, oh, you'd make a perfect little wife. And ever since, she has been begging Jeff for a baby. They have the perfect house. It's a two-bedroom with a yard, a white picket fence. Life is perfect. So they think. That's my attempt at a <laughs> 90s film trailer. The guy in a world. Except for I'm doing the rom-com. Things are about to get topsy-turvy. Jeff works at his local radio station. It is not all that he thought it was hyped up to be growing up and working at his college radio station. Oh shit. In the book, Jeff said he reached more people on his college radio show and basically just reads other people's scripts now all day on mic. He's reading advertisement. There's no mysterious X. When you are on a college radio station, you literally, they're all non-profit. You can preach conspiracy theories to the campus. There's literally zero filter. Hop on the mic when there's no one scheduled for a show. And so our protagonist, Jeff, he has the wife, he has the white picket fence, and he's going, I have my perfect job. I get to reach other people without saying my own thing. This isn't all it was cracked up to be. Remember, this is literature, so you have to dissect every tiny little shoe, as an English teacher would. And this is just symbolic of all of us being sad once we cross that predetermined finish line in our head, American dream. But this is life, baby. There is no finish line. It's a marathon. The only finish line is your grave. I remember when I used to play the board game Life as a kid. I would do everything that you could to make it to the retirement home section as long as possible. Rack up immense amount of debts in college. <laughs> As many spaces long as possible. But I remember in the deck of house cards you would choose from, one of the houses had been hit by a tornado in the game of life. You're stuck with it. I would aim for the tornado card so I wasn't rotten in the retirement home. Crazy good book. Very relatable concepts, even though the book was written in 1988. This is like all, all-time American culture, transcending time. That's the sign of a good novel. I gotta give a shout-out. This book was recommended to me. You could already see why. Pretty trippy. About a kid who got to talk through mics in college and isn't happy and now is dedicating his life to it. Big thank you to the democracy. Madonna Demers. Up there, repping Boston, Massachusetts. Big thank you for suggesting this book. Crazy parallels. So one day, Jeff wakes up, but he doesn't wake up in his suburban home with the white picket fence and with Lauren. Jeff wakes up and does not know where he is. He feels like he is having a heart attack. He's jumping out of his bed. Jeff is running around outside in his boxers trying to get a hold of his bearings. He finally realizes one chapel-looking building, which looks like his old college campus. And the more he runs... And the more he realizes, oh shit, I'm not getting tired, why do I have all this good cardio going, he seems to vaguely remember where he is. Pretty freaking terrifying. 
you've had the common, it's called an anxiety dream. Everybody refers to it as like their first nightmare. You go to your first day of middle school and you forget your schedule and you're running around naked. It's actually happening to Jeff in real life. He is sweating profusely. Looks like he is on a boatload of drugs. Jeff's roommate talks him down and realizes this is not happening to everybody. Jeff realizes he's the only one replaying. So he spends the first two weeks coming to be. He's calling his parents, who seem just like he remembers, and he realizes he is the only one who was sent back to the year 1960. It is. So Jeff spends a couple weeks getting his head straight, as you would have to if you were sent back to the future, back to the past, and he's already hatching some schemes. Jeff asks his parents for an advance on his tuition, and the first thing he does, his memory was not erased. He knows everybody else is just going about their day. Let's get trippy real quick, confuse you. Maybe everybody's replaying every day, and Jeff is the only one who gets to keep the memory. It's like the old mushroom Terrence McKenna question. Maybe every morning before you wake up, man, a computer just loads all your memories into your brain interface. Many branches on the trippy tree that Jeff can go off of and Ken has set up for us as a good author. So Jeff realizing he is alone and now with this advance on tuition, he brings all of his college friends out to a bar one night on the night of uh, some friggin' horse race. And he was like, I'm throwing it all on the worst pony on the track. Big suspense, big suspense, big suspense for half a chapter. Jeff wins the 1 in 64 odds horse race and turns his like $8,000 of tuition into $70,000. He's an 18-year-old kid in 1960 with 70000 bucks. Him and his homies start taking road trips to Vegas. He's having the best college experience of his life. Jeff finished up with college there, and he still remembers his initial life. He's going, I wish I had all this confidence initially in college. Even if I didn't have the money, I wish I was going around like I had 70k in my pocket every single night. It got him into a bunch more adventures that he wasn't saying yes to the first time around. And so Jeff is going, alright, I got a little bit of money in my wallet. What is something bigger I should do with this precognition if this is only to happen once in my life which is what he is led to believe why would this happen again and again and again he's saying i'm gonna have to do something good with this otherwise i'm a selfish bitch so jeffy boy tries to stop the assassination of john f kennedy this is in 63 so he was chilling outside of college for a few years making wall street bets he was saying he oh he won the um the old world series when it was stacked one to three so he won like crazy money off of that a bunch of the bookies wouldn't even trust jeff anymore because he was hitting some bets with crazy odds so this was the major plot point within act one of the book he's going successfully sends a letter to the u.s government and is like yo keep your eye on ozzy osborne uh Patton oswald whatever sirhan sirhan lee harvey Oswald. God damn, how do you forget that? That's like a rock star name. Welcome to the stage, Lee Harvey Oswald. Presidential assassin. <laughs> and what happens is Secret Service goes and detest, detains Lee Harvey. And Jeff, uh, he's watching. He goes to fucking Dallas Square, Dealey Plaza, on the day of the shooting, uh, this, uh, November 1963. Stephen King has an entire book about that, like replaying that day and how it's a staged event. Maybe why he suggested the book Replay. But what happens in Replay is that another guy goes through with the kill. Maybe it's a government patsy. Maybe it's just another guy who realized 
hey, this would be a really easy day to blow the top of the president's skull off. Clean shot down Dallas Road over here. But this leads him to believe, and in later replays, Jeff is able to confirm, he doesn't have the ability to manipulate the flow of time. Like, this is such a large event in the scale of human history. This guy (laughs) sips coffee. Homie was going to tattle about not going to the moon. Homie was about to tattle about Operation Northwoods. He wanted to say, yo, Robert McNamara was about to lie us into war with the fake airliner blowing up over Cuba and the Bay of Pigs. So he gets domed. If the American public were to know about that, the entire course of history would change. (laughs) So little Jeff in the tiny scale realizes he's not going to be able to change these massive things. And he's saying, all right, it's time to start living, baby. I'm three years into the replay. I cannot help the greater good. This is all about me. So Jeffy starts his own investment firm. It is called Future Inc. Ha 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 ha. Right under their noses. They'll never know. It's like all those occult symbols in Dr. Sleep. All up in eyes wide shut. That's why you always hear the people with the future knowledge will always try to leave little breadcrumbs. Denver International Airport. That is my home airport. (laughs) I've been caught on delay there snooping around. I see the Freemason symbols. There are all these little things hidden. And Jeff is adding in some of his own. There's a couple chapters about this investment firm. It was pretty interesting because if you were to go back in time, it's not like you're going to remember the exact day that Steve Madden shoes went public and then um, Stratton Oakmont, the Wolf of Wall Street firm, blows up because they knew the exact date. That's called insider trading. A guy from the future legitimately wasn't able to inside trade because you don't remember the exact date of things. So in the book, Jeff was saying, oh, I remember that flare jeans got big in the 90s, so I invested in Levi Denim. I remember that Twitter, 2008, blah, blah, blah. He only goes from 1960 to 1988 in the movie, I think it is. So you get the, I wasn't alive in those years, so I can't make a funny comparison. Yeah, that's like me my dad used to play Jeopardy growing up. You try to, you get a point every time you answer a question right. Homie's been alive for 30 years longer than I have. All these Jeopardy questions are like, what's the cool 80s band? Two chains? I don't know. And so there you go. Jeff is like, he's uh, <laughs> he's like uh, 35-ish, except he was reset when he was 40. So he's more like 67 at this point inside a 40-year-old's body. Jeff would slay at Jeopardy. And Future Inc. also started dealing with sports bets because none of the bookies in the countries trusted him, remember, because he was playing all the odds of sports bets you would probably remember if you replayed. But Future Inc., the stock brokerage, was also processing sports bets. So it was this like crazy hybrid and it rose to the top of the American market. Jeff is like a, what are those people called? 30, top 30 business people under 30, blah, blah, blah. Ken is winning. The corporate shoots and ladders and game of life. It's getting into his later years. And the good college friend, Jeff's roommate, got really bugged out. Because Jeff never made a bad call in his bets. He knows the future. So his buddy was literally like, dude, how are you doing this? And Jeff was always like, I can't tell you. You won't believe me. I can't tell you. And finally, the other guy is like, we're in our late 30s. We have millions of millions of millions of hundreds of millions of dollars. Why are we still doing this? And Jeff would not come clean with his friend, so his friend walked away from Future Inc. Supposed to be a big plot point there. Probably just symbolizes, like, when is enough, dog? He's just going to keep pushing it and pushing it. There is no way to satiate that monetary. There's no amount in your brain that will ever say, all right, money is taken care of. (laughs) It's a trap. 
So Jeff is now in his 40s. He is lonely as fuck, but he's always talking about his multiple homes and his sexy assistants that he gets to hook up with. But he's low-key sad boy. Due to this, he goes to the beach the same day he met Lauren, the old wife when he was just a small-time disc jockey. And so he's seen into the future. He knows exactly where to go if he wants to meet his wife, which he does, even though he got everything in the world. So there's a little interstellar love story. Love transcends dimensions. Love is bigger than money is what Ken Grimm was trying to shove down your throat. (laughs) So Jeff swags up to the beach with his... Louis Vuitton loafers and Gucci belt and he opens way too strong for Lauren he's going he's on some Gainesville beach some beaches in Gainesville some Daytona beach with some slow Floridians and he's going how you doing little lady you know I own a big 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 stock trading company on 6th Ave in New York City it's huge you're gonna love it toots you gotta come through sometime and Lauren's like okay hot shot this is fucking ridiculous why would you come up to me, a multi-billionaire in the middle of the beach, yada, yada, yada? So even when it is literally picture perfect for Lauren, she does not say yes. A millionaire came up to you on the beach and offered to take care of you the rest of your life. It's too easy. That is not a meet cute. <laughs> Lauren's vows in this replay. The first time I locked eyes with my husband, I was giving him change at the bus stop. So Jeff absolutely blew it with Lauren on that first uh, meeting, and he keeps trying to go to her house. Lauren actually gets a restraining order on him. So he is the miserable billionaire at this point, Jeff. His mid-40s come, and he has another heart attack, just like he did in the house with Lauren the first time. And it is time for Jeff to wake up for his second replay. No! He now knows this is happening forever. So Jeff starts out the same. He knows how to get a little money from the start. He understands the American dream. He did it to the max. And once he makes his uh, horse bet and then the Dodgers bet, making him hundreds of thousands of dollars, Jeff takes off. He goes to Paris. While there, he does LSD for the first time. And it reminds him of the death experience. There was a couple trippy pages he was trying to describe about that. And Jeff just starts backpacking around Europe. He takes some small, like, painting jobs along the way to meet some local people, learn about culture and lifestyles around Europe. And he's able to sell a few of his paintings. He was not (laughs) Tom Sawyer painting white picket fences. He was uh, doing some art on all that LSD in Paris. And he's making a little bit of a name for himself around the European art scene. He meets a bisexual lover who he spends most of his middle-aged life with here they're just doing drugs making love having threesomes with beautiful women in the which comes into the death sequence here but in this second replay ken turning to the psychedelics a little bit he says he's coming closer to the understanding of the buddhist time loops and maybe the quantum physics of when i think in this dimension the exact thoughts come up at the exact same time in the next dimension Makes no sense. So, like, if I was to be thinking on this day in history, January 10th, 2020, if if I am just born into the same body, that thought will probably pop into my head at this exact time again. I can't describe it. I'm not a quantum physicist. <laughs> so, Jeff died prematurely here. He did not die at the age of 45. I don't remember who the name was, but there's some, like, famous French artist who... Um, winds up shooting his girlfriend in the middle of the night and Jeff is here in the crossroads of a very historical moment of Paris and so what he learned through this death was that 
it doesn't matter if you uh, wake up at 18 and then get hit by a car. You're going to keep waking up at 18. So there's no escape by jumping off a building from these replays. He is in some sort of karmic loop, some sort of interdimensional glitch. But just like now, it's been two lifetimes. Jeff went to the Kennedy assassination. Jeff went to the artist freak out. If you were able to do replays, wouldn't you just spend your lifetime going to all the big events? One of the classic questions, if you could, uh, if you had a time machine, where would you go in history? I remember my dad would always say the <laughs> the mutilation of Christ. When Barabbas and all those motherfuckers punch his pilots, eating some popcorn, everyone's beating the shit out of Jesus. Would that be a cool day to go? Go see the crucifixion? I am saying motherfucking dinosaurs. Humans have been assholes forever. How would you not want to go see who else got to rule Earth for a little bit? Obviously, if you can manipulate time, you would go to the future to get yourself some monetary advantages. Go learn about some trends. Hence a replay. It's a timeless question we're looking at here. And so just like Jeff going to these critical points in history, it's like imagine if replayers were in real life. This is why we see... <laughs> it's a terrible point to make <laughs> after the cleansing of YouTube. You ever look at the pictures of the Sandy Hook parents... And then you look at the pictures at the Boston bombing and like the, I just got fucking goosebumps, dog. The first row of people cross over who was at the Sandy Hook shooting. So you have the conspiracy theorists going, crisis actors, because Alex Jones is always right. And then you have people like me going, yo, what if there are some, <laughs> what if there's some interdimensional replayers who are just going to the coolest points of history and always have the tip on where to be at the right time? There's some creepy shit out there that I cannot explain. <laughs> How could you have that bad of luck that you were at two of the worst American tragedies in our lifetime? A replayer would be at the right place in history all the time. Lots of rabbit holes you could go down there on the internet. And so Jeff restarts. It is his third gosh dang replay. He's making more conservative bets this time, so he's stacking up just enough. He's not going crazy getting addicted to money, he's saying. Jeff pursues a more humble career. He got a morning drive radio slot over in Chicago. That was always his initial goal, apparently. So he wasn't exactly living his full truth, whatever you want to call it, with Lauren the first time. He wasn't at the goal he wanted to. He compromised a little bit. So this time he's got his morning Chicago radio slot and he met a woman and had a wife and they had a kid. Jeff's going, okay, maybe I'm bringing another genetic person into the, the blah, blah, blah. This is going to correct my timeline. So he's thinking having a kid might be a Hail Mary. However, it's like one year before Jeff dies on the predetermined time and the kid is a one-year-old but when jeff has his scheduled heart attack he's thinking no the kid didn't fix it no where does that kid go he's thinking i just like bought a soul into the universe that is now going to stay in limbo think about it this way this new timeline that jeff is creating this soul this person did not exist so what happens on the replay to the kid it just gives him a really big existential break thinking i can't be messing around it's time to get down to business baby that's three replays in so although jeff is now depressed for like the first few years of his fourth replay he's going that was a pretty good fucking life I lived up to my truth, my entire truth this time, got the gig I was always going for, had the wife that I thought was pretty hot, hotter than Lauren, <laughs> and I had the kid that I loved. I just wish I didn't restart. Let's try to fix it, because he wants to actually have that life real. 
And so remember I mentioned the age before, how he's like a fucking hundred-year-old man within someone else's body? This is his fourth replay that puts him at about 130 years old. So women have lost all pleasure to Jeff. He looks lost. The toy's not shiny anymore. He is a creep. He moves up to the Pacific Northwest. He's just in those thick pine wood, what are those, conifers in Washington, buried in the woods. And Jeff does this for multiple lives. He's up there reading all the philosophy, all the poetry that he ever wanted to. He's watching all the movies that he ever wanted to. That sounds a lot more like it. <laughs> if anybody was gifted a replay, I guarantee they would spend it watching Netflix. Oh, I'm going to watch all the Netflix content this time. No, this time. No, this time. You can spend your entire life. You know, there's like every single day, 17 days of video get uploaded to YouTube. There's more YouTube. There's more entertainment. There's more porn than you could ever consume on the internet. Even if you have multiple lives like Jeff. Jeff starts getting heavy into Buddhism, and he thinks he is stuck in what is called a reincarnatory loop for karmic reasons. So now he's sitting up in the woods, like, not praying to God, but talking to himself, so maybe the same thing, saying, what did I do wrong my entire life? What is, how do we make peace? So in one of these tertiary lives, he's much older, he is much wiser. Jeff comes across a movie called Staressa, which was connected to him spiritually. He saw, you ever see a movie and you shed a tear? Dude, holy shit, man. <laughs> oh no, no, my emotions! A real emotion on the show. I can't make myself cry. I honestly haven't cried in a couple years. That is not healthy at all, I'm sure. When I go to the movies, that is like a spiritual experience. You're fucking staring at a screen that is the size of several cornfields. Like if you took a Neanderthal and put him in a movie theater, they would definitely cry too. I'm a Neanderthal. Movies are able to connect with people spiritually. So are really, really, really good books. I have not cried over a book yet. <laughs> That is a nerd card for life if you cry over a book. Get the hell out of here with that. I don't even cry, like, at the part of the movie that they want you to. It's like there's a giant explosion, and I get fucking chills, and I'm like, holy shit, I'm so happy I'm alive for this bullshit. Imagine you were alive in the 1920s, and you were watching Charlie Chaplin talkies. Oh, let's laugh now. He's about to get hit on the head again. No, dude, you get to see some dudes fly avatars around the planet Pandora. Love the cinematic experience. So did Jeff. This movie, Staressa, it was talking about the oneness of the universe and how some people are stuck in loops and how dolphins are just like humans. But the big part of the movie was talking about how some people are stuck in loops. And Jeff's going, yeah, tell me about it. And so Jeff is like, wait a minute. He cooks it down to L.A. and he schedules a meeting with the director of this movie. Her name is Pamela. So Jeff disguises the meeting as a movie pitch. He's not just going, oh, I'm a fan. I want to talk to you about Tharetha. I'm a big-time Hollywood producer. I got a couple ideas for you. And so he goes to this meeting with Pamela and starts pitching offshoots. He's going, I have this idea. It's called Star Battles. The protagonist is Luke Moonwalker. The antagonist, Jabba the Butt. And the zany friend, Dude Baca. He pitched Indiana Jones in, and the Temple of Crystal Meth, 17 Candles, Brunch Club, and Pamela's sitting there like, <laughs> this dude's got some futuristic ideas. Mr. Jeff, if you think you were going to die, when would it be? Jeff says that magic date in 1980 when everything resets, 
and Pamela gives him the look in the eyes, jumps over her desk, and they both embrace each other. They both feel the least alone in the universe than they ever have. They found someone with the same curse as each other. Here's a good fucking crying in a movie time. In Doctor Sleep, the one that I'm shoving down your throat, it's about that kid Danny from The Shining, how he has his uh, telekinetic abilities. He's got the shine, baby. Danny picks up a job in a geriatric home and he talks to the people the day before they die. They're like, I don't know, I'm so nervous, Doc, what should I do? What should I do, Mr. Nurse? And Danny will talk to them without opening his mouth. Telepathically, he goes, it'll all be okay. And the old people, like, start crying. They can't even speak. Some of them die right away. How comforting would that be, man? You're on your deathbed, and finally, somebody just reaches out to you and talks to you without having to talk to you, and you're like, we could have been doing this the whole fucking time, man. It's all gonna be okay. Shit, we really are all one. Hippie, hippie, hippie. It's just like this moment between Jeff and Pamela. They were both stuck in this loop, and they find out, oh my god, I have someone to talk to about this. I'm not crazy. So this started the fun part of the book. They're going on dates together, tripping balls, trying to troubleshoot the cosmic mystery together. And their first big plan of action, they try to publicize the Nostradamus paper, which was just a paper of all their predictions they me- they remembered from the first incarnation together, the things that actually happen in the future. So they were saying, you know, watch out for the Gulf of Tonkin is bullshit. Watch out for... This band Kiss is going to pop off. Watch out for Pong is going to be the craziest video game of all time. But <laughs> not that. They would try to warn people about giant natural disasters, the Nostradamus papers. And so people start contacting Jeff and Pamela over the years as things are happening, which is not a good look. You cannot be the Nostradamus. The government gets a hold of Jeff. Slap the cuffs on him, bring him in. Two guys with black glasses and black suits on go... All right, Mr. Jeff, what division are you in? And Jeff's like, what the hell are you guys talking about? Like, what division are you in, sir? FBI, CIA, NSA. Jeff's like, dude, I'm from the future. (laughs) And the government's like, shut the fuck up, you whistleblower. Who are you? (coughs) Jeffrey Epstein. And so Jeff is like, I don't know what to tell you, man. You're probably going to want to throw me in a friggin' uh, schizophrenic home, but I see the future. And so in this incarnation, when he finally finds Pamela, Jeff is spending a few years in jail when they finally find out what division Jeff is in. So they come back. Jeff and Pamela realize very quickly they die a couple years after Jeff gets out of prison. We cannot be doing that again. This information is for us and us only. It disrupts the flow of time or some shit or these keepers of time (laughs) the them the they of society the deep state will set everything back on course so they come back to life again and jeff heads to uh pamela's house her house of childhood because when pamela comes back she's a little bit younger than jeff she is 14 years of age so she was like it sucks when i replay every single time i just date older guys and uh pick up different instruments in high school there's nothing to do and so jeff Goes up to Connecticut, tries to meet up with Pamela, but her dad answers the door and is like, Who the fuck are you? Leave immediately. Why are you trying to pick up my 14-year-old daughter? Why would you think this is an option? And so Jeff has to spend those four years going out making money until Pam is of age. And this time they basically take the life off. They're like, that last one was super stressful. Let's just be lovers. And they travel the world together, but then they realize one of the big author points... To see the whole world, you really need multiple lifetimes. It's about finding each other. 
But during this cool little traveling period, they find out as the 200-year-old souls that they are, they are able to love deeper than ever. I don't know, maybe it's like you need life experience to love or maybe maybe you just need wisdom to appreciate and love somebody else. Cool little steak to chew on there. Something they realize, though, upon this next upcoming replay is that they are starting to get closer to the expiration date, to the uh, to the heart attack date or whatever in the 1980s. So Jeff is not waking up at 18 years old in college. He is waking up at like 20 years old now, and it gets bigger every single time. So it's crunch time. They're going to need to find a solution to the cosmic query at hand. Jeff and Pam try to put their minds together to make another movie. They're going to try to upstage Staressa, and they want to try to see if they can call other people like she did to Jeff or try to actually wake people up through a piece of art, through a movie. What they do do, unfortunately, when they, rev- when they uh, release their movie is get some weirdo who calls them and is like, you guys see the future I can tell by your movie. So do I. But I have a more hands-on approach. You see, I kill everyone who stands in my way. And so obviously Jeff and Pam were like, you're an actual schizophrenic. We do not want to associate with you. Jeff's saying, why did the government not detain this guy who was actually out there killing people and not trying to spread truth? And B, Jeff is saying, I learned my first replay that you can't change the flow of history. You can put a billboard up on, like, the river, the flow of time, but you're never going to be able to change the actual flow. You can only put some nice stuff for people to see along the way or read. Playing on that whole idea of can one person really change the world? But there's a cool part of the book here. Grimwood is trying to bring up, like, maybe those psychotic people, the hobos, maybe they are actually onto something. I've been saying, man, when I'm working at the coffee shop and these hobos break out their maps to the universe, it's like it's a six, it's a four by four foot piece of paper that they're scribbling on and it looks like Einstein math equations. Maybe they're onto something. Maybe the hobo's pentagram made of feces on the bathroom wall opens up the poop dimension or something I do not know about. (laughs) Different brains pick up different frequencies. The point of this crazy part was they are realizing, Jeff and Pamela, that they are together alone. That's enough to drive a person crazy. So the two of them are at a big loss, Jeff and Pamela here. The movie did not quite work. And as the time dilation is going, Pamela isn't going to be awake for the first few years of the next time while Jeff is there. And so this is pretty cool. Like usually in a novel or some fiction bullshit, there's going to be a third love interest to set up the forbidden lover's triangle. But in this book, Ken is fighting against the fact that Pamela is not woke yet. She's not mature yet. She's not conscious there. So it's like, you'll see, Jeff wakes up this time in 1978, and he cannot stand to be alone after all he's went through, after being in jail, after being in the Pacific Northwest, living in hostels throughout Europe. He can't take being alone. Jeff again drives to Connecticut, and he tries to wake Pam up early with a kiss. Come on now, you got a little romance going on in this interterrestrial story? Absolute classic. What happens in the magic kiss? Pamela actually wakes up. This is crazy. This is like they tried to fucking make the best movie of all time and it wasn't able to make anyone up. But a kiss, again, we're going back to love, can transcend all of this bullshit. Unfortunately, 
Pamela dropping the N-word, saying no, as women do 85% of the time. We just learned from Mr. Jordan B. Peterson. Pamela's like, no, you made me self-conscious. I could never forgive you. You're a manipulative psycho. You were kissing my premature form. So she's like, never contact me again. Over to <laughs> Jeff is there in Connecticut getting shut down by the dad and then Pamela herself. So again, pretty symbolic, pretty cool here. Again, goosebumps again. Maybe you can wake people up by love or whatever it is, but they are probably going to resent you for it. <laughs> so we are in the end game, ladies and gentlemen. Jeff is on his own. He has been turned down by Pamela. Jeff came into the universe alone. He is going to leave it alone. As the final replay approaches, like he's having a heart attack and then he wakes up 30 minutes before. So the refractory period is getting non-existent. Final replay is approaching and within seconds of his most recent death, he sees the faces of everyone he has loved through every single replay. So it's not just Lauren, some chick that he wound up living with the first time around. Every single person he affected and made an impact on through every single life was there with him along for the ride. It's like when people take fucking DMT and they say they see the faces of all the people they see, they know on the other side. That's what we're getting at here. This book is a little bit more for the psychonauts. We are talking in two languages for sure. Jeff's deaths become insufferable, and he was finally released from his body, he feels like. He's seeing all of the timelines he went on in fractal form. Ah, how much would you love that, dude? I'm looking forward to this point in my life already. You've seen, like, uh, in American Dad, they portray it as you die and then you go to a blockbuster with all your memories and you could put any movie you want in and then you are living the memory. It would be pretty damn cool to be able to go chill in your own little lobby of memories. And so this is where Jeff is a little bit. This is why I keep saying it's crazy that the... Uh, Fucking that the author Ken Grimwood had a heart attack, died of a heart attack. This guy knows what a heart attack is like. Ken Grimwood has died. He has seen the other side. He is writing this story probably to let us know as a cautionary tale what happens at death. Which is maybe you replay. Wild! So Jeff is vibrating in the world of the forms. He is surrounded by love and all the entities that he treated well throughout his time. And then Jeff is sent back. Out of nowhere, there was no coming back to. Jeff is just sitting there in his office. Was it just a near-death experience? But Jeff looks at the clock, and for the first time, Jeff is older than he has ever been. He's out of the loop, baby. So was it all a near-death experience? Did he live that entire many different lives while he was having his life flash before his eyes, maybe that's what it means when people say, his life flashed before his eyes. Maybe he was just tripping balls off the brain chemicals that were going wild to transfer him into death, and he saw all the other lives that he could have lived. Maybe that's flashing before your eyes. He said in the book, maybe it was a stranded astral lover taking advantage of Jeff's wandering soul. So maybe he was at his desk and he was so goddamn bored that a stranded astral lover, some hoe in the fifth dimension, needed to have a little bit of an affair. Maybe Pamela was, or maybe Lauren was, maybe any of these incarnations were the purple lady. Again, we're going back into the psychedelic experience, any of these meeting God experiences that the human has had. People say there's like a purple entity, some lady that'll take you to the fucking different worlds and you fall in love and go do shit together. Go have multiple lives, trip balls, <laughs> crazy shit. I know a kid that did DMT in college and said that he saw this chick. <laughs> I want to have an interdimensional affair. 
Maybe motherfucking Kronos, the god of time, nabbed Jeff's soul. Remember in Doctor Strange? Why haven't they made a sequel to that one yet? They're making Super Marvel chick flop in the theaters. How about give us another Doctor Strange? That was the best Marvel movie of all time. He's fighting uh, fucking Kronos at the end. And how does he get out of the time loop? Doctor Strange chilling out there in the fifth dimension. Kronos has him in this time loop where he's getting killed multiple times over and over. Decapitated, boiled to death, stung to death. But the way Doctor Strange gets out of it, he has the time stone. And so he traps the god of time in a very tight loop. And so Kronos is like, oh, I could do this forever. And then after a couple replays, he's like, Father New Year, would you look at that? Immortal just destroyed me. So maybe Kronos got Jeff. But you see, even the reality of a replay is unbearable to a god. So like I'm saying, an eternity of anything is hell. Whether it is when you die, you replay back to 18 years of old. Or whether when you die, you go to heaven. If it's either of those things forever and ever and ever and ever and replay, 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 replay. <laughs> nobody wants to live that for eternity. Very insightful point by Ken Grimwood. Jeff runs outside with his new aging body finally and felt as though he could finally live in the moment. Was he going to go try to find Pamela? Was he going to go write a manuscript of Staressa for the real world? Jeff was alone and the possibilities were endless. Damn. Think about his target audience, Grimwood. It's probably like middle-aged men. And you you always end a book saying what the people want to hear, unless it's a Russian dystopian novel where you want to make people sad at the end. Grimwood is ending this book saying, this dude is alone with all the time in the world and the possibilities are endless. So that's what you have to be thankful for. And thank you for this book suggestion. Thank you, Ken Grimwood, for coming up with this trip of an idea for replay. Dude, rest in peace. I hope your soul is not trapped in this 59-year-old heart attack. I love you, Ken Grimwood. Beautiful read to kick off our bonus in 2020. The onus of bonus. Got it going nice and strong. And this will take us to February of 2020. Get ready, ladies and gentlemen. I am hella excited about this <laughs> it's about to be a crazy episode we are reading the game by neil strauss in just two weeks ladies and gentlemen you are receiving a handbook on hookups mr strauss is a legend at swooning the opposite sex this book has been a new york times bestseller with strauss touring around late night talk shows all around america giving us the insider tour of how he infiltrated the American Society of Pickup Artists. We got the metrics. I know most of our listeners are male. I am getting all of you some side sniz next month. Make sure you turn in. Ladies, you are going to want to hear all about. This book is where negging comes from. All the grubby tricks that guys think they have, running sets, all of the pickup lines from this goddamn book. Neil Strauss, writer for the Rolling Stones, writer of that movie on Netflix, super popular, The Dirt, right now. He wrote the actual book, following around the band, The Motley Crew. Neil Strauss, been around sex, been around heroin. This guy is the real deal. A man who picked up Courtney Love and Britney Spears is going to be showing us the ins and outs of the game. Not only that, you are talking with a goddamn host who has been around the block. Not proud of it. A little bit proud of it. Will not be spreading any personal names. Will be spreading hilarious hookups, college stories, silly smashes. You know what we're going to be doing. 
next month for February, the month of love, Neil Strauss's The Game. Thank you guys for staying till the end. This was a fun little experiment. We'll be doing it again, baby. A fiction book here on Nick's Nonfiction. Thank you, Ken Grimwood, for replay. Go check out Harry Ship. We are unshadow banned. We're going to be growing there, pumping out the good memes. That dang shit that I know you need. Getting dirty with the Photoshop. Laughs of plenty. I will see you in a measly two weeks, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you all. I am Nick Muniz. Peace.